it's easy to get sucked up in the fear when you're making that decision. But the broad picture is actually a really exciting one if you take a step back and look at it that way. You gotta pick yourself up, go backwards, and slam yourself at the wall like 500 more times until the wall crumbles. 25% of middle school girls already believe they'll never achieve their dream career. career. Hi, I'm Kara Golden, founder and CEO of Hint. Hint. And you're listening to Unstoppable, a podcast spotlighting the journeys of inspiring entrepreneurs. I believe that at its core, leadership is about constantly learning from the people around you. And I'm so inspired by the conversations we're having in our upcoming episodes and can't wait to share them with you. This season, some of my guests include Rebecca Minkoff, fashion designer and founder of the Female Founder Collective, Diana Kaff, author of Girls Who Run the World, Andrew Dudham, founder of Hymns, and Eugene Rem, co-founder of Rumble Fitness, and much, much more. Plus, we ask the million-dollar question, what does it really take to be unstoppable? Let's find out. Hi, everybody. It's Kara from Unstoppable, and I'm so excited to have my next guest here, Daniela Yakubovsky, co-founder of Bobble Bar. Very, very excited to have her here. And just a little bit about her. She is transforming the way women shop for fashion, jewelry, and accessories. If you haven't checked out her site, it's at bobblebar.com. And really what makes them unique is that they're on a mission to provide every woman with affordable, on-trend products. And I mean, it's such a great site. Definitely, definitely go check it out. And I just, I love what they're doing. They are also on fire and rapidly growing e-commerce brand, which of course we're we're uh, recording this during a time when everybody's shopping from home in particular. So lots of accolades, Fast Company, Forbes, TechCrunch, all have have really noticed what Daniela and Bobble Bar have been doing. And we've all heard of Meghan Markle and uh, Olivia Palermo and lots of other A-listers out there have recognized it and found it definitely before me along the way. But I was I was a fast follower, I guess you could call me, but love it, love it. And over 200 retailers, in addition, are carrying it in 17 countries. I mean, that is wild. Way to go. Super, super great. So, so yeah, so we'll welcome. Really excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. So tell us a little bit about how the idea got started. So you, were you at Harvard Business School? So I was at Harvard Business School, but the story actually predates that a little bit. So I happened to start business school with one of my absolute best friends, Amy Jane, We had known each other for several years because we had met in investment banking training many years prior. And someone introduced us and said, you guys have the same birthday. You should throw a party together. And we did. And, you know, she's been sort of stuck with me ever since. So it was a little bit luck and happenstance, as most good things are, that we ended up at business school, same school, same year. And we had started talking about this idea for a company that we, you know, both were really excited about building. I think when we were working together in finance, we had developed a little bit of a habit of going shopping together at Saks Fifth Avenue, which was down the street from where our investment bank was located. And the summer between our first and second year at school, 
we were, you know, back in New York, we were doing internships, we were shopping for shoes. And we just started talking about how much we loved the category of accessories and specifically, you know, fashion jewelry is such a really incredible transformative category in terms of how we choose to dress, how we choose to express ourselves through the looks that we put together. And we just felt like there weren't a lot of brands or companies out there that were meeting what we were looking for as shoppers and as consumers. And we decided that we kind of wanted to tackle that problem together. And so in the very nascent stages, Bobble Bar was born. Very cool. So was this a class project? I mean, when you you were both in school together, but was it actually given like as a project or? So it wasn't it wasn't given as any sort of project. It, it really was just the two of us sitting and shopping for shoes and talking about, well, you know, I love fashion jewelry so much because it lets me, you know, easily experiment with my wardrobe. You know, if you want to try something new, I feel like I always look for accessories as a really easy way to sort of dip your toe in the water when you don't want to necessarily spend a ton of money on, you know, a whole new set of apparel. It's a really fun way to just totally transform what you're wearing and and your look. Interestingly enough, in business school, you, you know, your second year, you can do what's called a field study, Mm -hmm. which is great because you basically get to set up the project however you want. And you find a faculty supervisor who is excited about what it is that you're looking to ultimately research or dig into, and that can become your credit. So, you know, funnily enough, we had the idea after our first year at school, and then immediately we wanted to spend all our time working on it. We were like, this is so exciting. I, you know, I just want to do this. So we sat down and kind of plotted out. We were like, well, how many field studies can you do? Can you, can they all be field studies? And we were kind of just like chopping up the project into as many as, as, you know, school would allow. Thinking about what's for dinner, but you haven't had a minute to even think about it before now. Well, let's not make that mistake again. I have a tip for you. Factor. Stress-free, delicious, ready-to-eat meals, just perfect for spring and summer yumminess. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready-to-eat in just two minutes or less. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, keto, vegan, veggie, or calorie-smart. Factor has you covered. Discover more than 60 add-ons every week, too like breakfast and on-the-go lunch choices, snacks and beverages now too. Stay fueled and feel good all day long with whatever they are creating over at Factor for you. And the best part, each meal is ready to eat in just two minutes or less. And who wouldn't want that? Factor is your solution for fast premium meals without the need for cooking. Get started today and fuel up for your spring and summer goals. What are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash golden50 and use code golden50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code golden50 at factormeals.com slash golden50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. That's code GOLDEN50 at factormeals.com slash GOLDEN50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. 
in today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is the Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, the Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of The Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for The Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. But essentially we have like a field study for the marketing component and a field study for like the ops component, and a few, you know, and, and really tried to as much as we could sort of take all of these different ideas that we wanted to research and explore and somehow jam them into the curriculum. Unfortunately, we were able to do a lot of that. That's awesome. I think the thing that's so interesting about your company, I always feel like there's like a front end of a company. And then there's also this kind of, you know, the back end of the company. And sometimes people think like, oh, the back end, like it just sounds awful, right? Really boring and stuff. And I just always geek out on that because it's it's really the data side and the yeah. decision making. So that is, you know, in my mind, like that has been so often. I'm sure accessories were based on like the success of an accessory line or a company was based on sales, right? But I think it you can actually sell more if you really understand your data and if you really understand who your customers are. And I think, you know, over time that has become so apparent in so many different categories. I mean, our business, my my day job as a founder and CEO of Hint is, you know, we have over 50% of our business is direct to consumer. And so it's always been, you know, 
people are now just waking up and recognizing that we're an omni-channel brand and that we've been about data for a long time. But anyway, I just think it's so interesting because obviously, I mean, there's sort of two parts to this too, that you're, you know, you just celebrated your 10 year anniversary too. So yeah. (laughs) And note to all those wannabe entrepreneurs out there. It's like, she's still smiling and she's still (laughs) right. You know, and so, so many times when I look at plans and people are like, oh yeah, in three years, we're going to flip the company and it's just like going to happen. Ching, you're right. And it just so many entrepreneurs that I have on here, you know, will, will live to tell that it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. So anyway, going back to the data side of it, like, was that always kind of your thinking and developing this company? Yeah. I mean, data is something Amy and I both feel so passionately about and are so excited about. And you're right. I think it's, you know, it's funny because when you do interviews and you talk about the company, it is, you know, not the sexiest topic. Yeah. I always love to dig into the data. You know, I think people really love to dig into the consumer side of things and the things that you really see on the face of the company, which obviously are fun and enjoyable and engaging, but data was always a really big part of where we wanted to be. I think just given our backgrounds, you know, we are two people who love numbers. I think numbers can tell you such a robust story about any particular topic or thing. And where we really felt there was just a huge opportunity in this particular category was to really harness that data in an extremely powerful way to help inform the product designs that you were bringing to each of the different channels. So I think it's not just about the fact that we do have access to a lot of information around what people are buying and sort of looking for across our site. I think it's the data coupled with our whole distribution platform. So a lot of people usually shop one of our brands or shop us at a specific location. And a lot of people don't necessarily realize that we have out, you know, bobblebar.com, which is sort of like our innovation hub or the laboratory of the company. And then we have a ton of wholesale relationships. We work with retailers that we have always loved to shop and have so much love and respect for folks like Nordstrom, ShopUp. Le Bon Marche in France. So we have a nice international presence there as well. We also have our second brand, Sugar Fix by Bobble Bar, which is sold exclusively at um, all 1800 Target doors and on target.com. And then we also do private label for a couple of other retailers that serve a, a different demographic than Bobble Bar or Sugar Fix by Bobble Bar necessarily serve. And I think it's, you know, the power of the data is really understanding what people are looking for and when to really help inform, you know, what are the different trends and products that you should be really buying deeply into based on the channel. Because typically we're finding that, you know, folks who are shopping on bobblebar.com are reading the same blogs, looking at the same, you know, accounts on social media, sort of on top of the same kind of trends and looking for the same things at the same time. And it really helps us, you know, better predict and figure out when we should be introducing those trends or or motifs to other audiences and also what we think are going to be the winners. Interesting. And what did you see during... COVID? I mean, in terms of like, what were any big trends that you were seeing in terms of people buying? 
I mean, I think we are constantly seeing so much. Yeah. It's been been a whirlwind. You know, I think when you think about the pace at which things change and evolve, I think one of the best pieces of advice we ever, ever got early, early on was, you know, think about your company like a stool and each leg is a revenue stream. And if you cut off a revenue stream, the stool's going to topple. So if you have one revenue stream or two revenue streams, you're just putting a lot of pressure, right? And I think coming from finance, we also always think about the benefits of diversification. So right out of the gate, I think when the world fundamentally changed, we were really extremely fortunate that we were coming from a place where we had a platform with four distinct streams of revenue and four distinct avenues where we sold product. So when one of those distribution channels functionally went away for a few months, because retail stores are all closed, you know, we were fortunately able to really shift our efforts to some of the other streams. So I think for us, this idea of diversification and this idea of meeting the customer where they are has always been so core to, to our ethos and to the brand. And I think is something that really helped us sort of navigate some extremely challenging and certainly extraordinary couple of months. I think separately from that, you know, we're seeing that people are at least this year, and I don't know how long this will will play out, but I think people are starting to plan things substantially more in advance. I think we're finding that people are already searching for Halloween product in the beginning of August, which we would have never expected. I think people are already starting to think about the holidays and starting to think about Thanksgiving, Christmas, Hanukkah. You know, it's been a really just highly unpleasant year. Let's call it what it is. And I think that people are looking for those moments that feel joyful and happy that you celebrate with people that you love. And I think that people are starting to plan a lot more in advance than they were in prior years because it's always fun to have something to look forward to. You know, I think that typically high summer, you know, I think about what I used to plan in high summer and I would always be planning you know, a vacation that I was taking and that's not happening, you know, and a lot of people would also be planning back to school. You know, typically you're shopping for all the fun back to school things and it's this this really big moment. That's looking a little different this year. So I think people are starting to think about, you know, some of those other holidays and momentous occasions and thinking about how they celebrate and show up for them. So you're in 17 countries. I mean, have have any just sort of normalized, like it from a trend standpoint? I mean, do you feel like everything's back to normal in certain parts of the world? You know, it's interesting. I don't know that there's going to be a like back to normal. I think that this was a pretty fundamental shift and we're going to see that impacting behavior well into perpetuity. And I think now the question is, how do we as companies and how do we as brands kind of respond to the new normal and respond to the new expectations that that people have. So, you know, from our perspective, I think people still want products that make them smile. They still want products that bring joy and excitement to their lives. I think one of the areas that we're seeing change a little bit is I do think that across the board, we are seeing gifting increasing. Again, I think a lot of moments that you would typically celebrate in person with somebody, you are not necessarily able to spend celebrating with somebody. So I think we're seeing a bit of an uptick in people 
wanting to send a little pick me up or a little something just to say, I'm thinking of you. And it doesn't have to be, you know, I spent $200. It can be like a little something, but I think people are really thinking about those moments. And we're also really fortunate in that the product that we sell is, you know, what we call Zoom friendly, which is when you're thinking about the fact that now 80% of your interactions are truly happening from the shoulders up. Well, we've got earrings, we've got necklaces, we've we've got headbands, all kinds of we've got face all masks. kinds of things. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I mean, this this sort of what I've been calling the pantsless revolution is actually kind of working out, you know, really well for us in, in an unexpected way. So we've we've certainly been benefiting from that because again, I think you know, the first couple of months you were like, oh, what is this? And now it's like, well, this is what things are going to look like for a while. So how do I, how do I make it feel like me? And how do I bring joy to this new normal? No, absolutely. So I think that that's definitely people are, uh, they've got their, their nighttime clothes or their fancy clothes, especially for their zoom meetings and showing up. Although I did, I, missed mine today. So <laughs> you look fabulous. I, so thank you. Thanks so much. But I'm so curious, like on supply chain, did you feel like, I know for us, we, we had always at Hint wanted to do things as locally as possible. So part of the reason why we're not international, we've had a, a number of people reach out to us over the years to go into other countries, but we've really kind of been like, especially because it's a heavy product and we're taking you know, yeah. it's a little bit different. It's a food product. We're taking resources from, you know, environments. And, and so we thought, okay, when we do do it, we're going to, you know, try and source the fruit and the water and everything from these different countries. And when COVID hit, I think that the one thing that we were like, oh, wow, we really did this right. I mean, we source locally. And so, but I've talked to other people in this process with, you know, other types of companies and definitely, you know, with the world kind of at different stages, right? Through COVID, supply chains have been interrupted. And what did you learn about supply chain, like yeah. through this time? I think ironically enough, same lesson as we had on the revenue side, which is mm-hmm. you better be diversified and you better be nimble, right? Because yeah. you ultimately rely 100% on your supply chain as much as you rely on your, you know, distribution network in terms of how you get products to customers. So for us, something that, and again, I think we have an extraordinary product development and sourcing team that just works tirelessly. One of the things they have always spent a tremendous amount of time on is making sure that we're countersourcing product and that we have lots of different plans in place in case this doesn't work out over here or in case this is a problem over here, where do we go and where do we get it from? I think especially when you work with some of the massive retailers that we we work with, you know, you really can't afford to be in a position where you run into a sourcing snafu with a particular material. You've got to have a backup plan all the time. So we have a backup plan and then we have a backup plan to our backup plan. And that really, really helped get us through. And again, it's, you know, it was some really interesting couple of weeks and months, as I'm sure everybody had, where things were just really thrown, you know, off course from what you totally. usually do. Yeah. And, you know, we're really lucky. We have a team of people who just hustle and everyone was just, you know, pulling out the backup plans and the backup backup plans and figuring out how we kept things moving. We're also lucky that we do have a, you know, again, fashion jewelry is a category that has breadth of skews, which really helps. You know, we're typically not a category where 
you know, there's this one particular earring and it's 80% of sales. You know, you, you, yeah. come, you come to our site, we have a couple hundred things for you to browse. So here and there where there are a couple of things where we were like, all right, well, we got to figure out something new for that guy. You know, it doesn't totally throw things off the roadmap, which really helps. But again, it's that diversification. It's really critical. Yeah, no, I think that's super critical. And I would answer exactly the same way. And it's interesting because I think that the other lesson that I learned, something that we had done, and and it really is on the operations side of our company versus what I was doing every day, but our uh, chief operating officer, who happens to be my husband too, so I'm very proud of him, but has been really hammering this idea of automation for years and getting people out of the room so we don't like have any people when we're ultimately filling our bottles. And so for us, COVID was like, I mean, there was just nobody sick. I mean, and nobody was in the room. So we didn't have like big interruption in the process, but I just think that those are, you know, while we have a moment where we're taking a little bit of a breather, I think everybody who's, you know, running a company should really start to look at everything that you're talking about, like the diversification and as much automation as possible. And I think it's just now's the time. And, you know, nobody saw this, or at least I didn't see this, you know, pandemic coming, right? But I think it's just, it's a time where, you know, it's really important to take a closer look. Did you know you were going to be an entrepreneur? I mean, did you always wish that you like want it, like as a kid, were you? I mean, it's funny. It's something both Amy and I talk about pretty frequently. I think one of the things we both really have in common is that we both have at least one parent that is first generation American entrepreneur. And I think that this is a really extraordinary place to be able to come and build something from nothing. If you have a great idea and a lot of hustle and a lot of heart, this is one of the few places where you can, you know, really do that and and find the support that you need. So, you know, that's something I think we both really bonded over. We had both, you know, talked about wanting to start something, but I think that it's tough when you're sitting and you're like, oh, I want to start a company. Let me come up with an idea. I feel like it doesn't ever hit you that way. It kind of, you know, it, it hits you when you're not thinking about it, like most things. And it was really lucky that we happened to have the idea at a time that was truly ideal to start something in that we were in school, we weren't leaving a job, we were both young, we didn't have kids, you know, you none of the things that a lot of people when they struggle with this concept of, oh, should I start something, wrestle with, you know, the timing was extremely ideal for us. And we were really lucky that it happened at that time. And I remember even then, when we graduated school, you know, at that point, we had stood up a beta site for the company. And we had actually taken full-time jobs back in finance, you know, because you don't, you don't know. It's, you have no idea how it's going to go and what it's going to look like. And so we graduated in, you know, I think it was like May or June. And literally the day after we like packed up a U-Haul and drove to New York and we got this, you know, sad little co-working office. This was before we work. It was, we were literally like in a closet like my parents sent us a plant for good luck and it died in like a matter of hours. <laughs> like there was no light, there was no air. We were just like yeah. trying to figure it out. And we were supposed to start jobs in September, but we were like, well, we got this beta site up. You know, we've got three months, like let's see what happens. And it's so funny because in the moment, it's so hard to look at, you know, how things are going and truly take a 
you know, non-biased opinion and say, these are really strong numbers. We should just do this, right? You, you still, I think, are really met with that fear of, oh God, like, what am I giving up? What if it fails? What if it goes nowhere? What if we launch it and like nobody wants to shop with us again? And I think, again, you know, both of our parents were so supportive. I remember my dad calling me and being like, how is this even a question? He was like, of course you do it and you start it and you see, because when are you ever going to do this again? He goes, and if you don't do it, you'll always regret it. And if it doesn't work, then guess what? You'll find a job. Like it's, that's, that's your answer. Go. So it was, it was really nice to kind of have that support and just have those people around you kind of reminding you, like, it's easy to get sucked up in the fear when you're making that decision. But the broad picture is actually a really exciting one if you take a step back and look at it that way. Definitely. I have a book coming out in October that is called Undaunted, and it's about getting rid of the doubts and really ignoring the doubters that are around you because you'll always be able to find them. But so often I, I talk about these stories in there where, you know, it sounds like your dad was the person that really gave you the gas to kind of, you know, say, you know, what's the worst that could happen? And I talk about my dad a lot in, in this book too, that, you know, so many times, like I really wanted to go and I knew I could do it. And, you know, I remember when I was moving to New York many, many years ago and I got cold feet at the, you know, almost right before I was leaving and really didn't think I was going to move and do it. I was coming from Arizona and my dad said, what's the worst that can happen? And for my dad, it was always about finances. I mean, we didn't have a ton of money and he was like, now just figure it out. Like once you get there and you really just don't think that it's going to work out that well, then, you know what's it going to cost you to go to JFK and get a flight, a one-way flight from New York back to Phoenix. And so I did the homework, like really figuring it out. And I, you know, figured out even if I had a lease that was like a one-year lease and, you know, and this is what it would run me if I had to break that, like all, that's how he thought about things right or wrong. And so for me, it was like, okay, well, yeah. I mean, if that's the worst that can happen, then maybe I can, move forward. And so I often talk, people always say to me, like, you're fearless, you, you know, you're not really afraid of things. And that's not true at all. And I think that we all have fears. It's, it's what you, it's how you face them and how you tackle them. And I can't even say I fear it, but I, what I dislike most is when I am afraid of something and I want to become unafraid of something. Right. And I know that the way for me to do that and the way for so many to deal with that is really to tackle it. So that's what the book is really about. And it's definitely about building hint, but it's also life lessons. And, you know, and I really am a huge believer that you can do almost anything and everybody can do almost anything if you, you know, really face your fears, but also figure out how to become unafraid. Right. And so there's very few things that, you know, make me afraid anymore because I just face them. And I, and I think like that's so important for so many people at at any age, frankly, in any industry. Right. So, but I love that story. So what do you think you learned in private equity? I feel like, especially if you've never worked in finance, right? Like it's like this, you know, black hole, like, what do they want to know from me? Right? Like, I mean, this is venture as well as just 
angel investors and, and like, what do you think is like the key thing that you learned sitting on, you know, that side of the table? Yeah. I think there were a lot of things that, that Amy and I really benefited from having that background, which, you know, obviously was a atypical background for, for where we were headed. Totally. You know, I think one of the biggest things that we really picked up was just having a really analytical approach to problem solving. You know, I think that when you're kind of facing like a really big problem that needs to be solved, that can feel really challenging for a lot of people. How do you start to break it down into small pieces and just start to do a basic analysis to put together, you know, how you would approach something or how you think it'll go? And, you know, what is your best thesis as to how we should approach this? You know, I think that that's a skill set that you just do so many times over in finance that, that really served us well. I think you also just learn how to tackle so many things. You know, so we always say, you know, there are obviously there are areas of the company where we need people with extremely functional expertise, right? Like I am not a graphic designer. If I open up Photoshop or InDesign, I literally have no idea what I am doing. Mm-hmm. It would be a big hot mess. I can't right. give my opinion on graphic design, but like that is a very specific skill set that I just functionally do not have. But you know, what I do have is that most things that don't require like a hard skill set, like coding or software, Amy and I always say that together we can figure most things out. Like we're really good problem solvers. And I think that's gotten us really, really far in terms of what we are able, able to do, you know, and I think that working in finance, you also, you just, you are trained to be quite tenacious. I think you just really figure things out. Separately from that, you know, in terms of hard skills, I do think it was helpful when we were thinking about starting to raise money and we were thinking about raising capital, you know, it was helpful that that was a world that we just really understood. Mm-hmm. I think that when you approach that world for the first time, if you don't have somebody guiding you through it, it can be really challenging and really scary. I think for us, the fact that we really knew how to put pitch materials together, how mm-hmm. to put a fundraising model together, how you know how to sort of prep for what we thought were a lot of the questions we were going to get in the early days, you know, especially when you're raising off of an idea, you know, on a pitch deck and you literally don't have product and you don't have customers, you don't know what you're doing. You know, it was really helpful that we not only had had a couple of years of, in many cases, putting those materials together for, you know, companies that we were working with or evaluating companies, you know, pitch materials. We also had this extraordinary network of former mentors, bosses, teachers, et cetera, who were able to help us just stress test a lot of those materials and and ultimately our, you know, our pitch to investors, which was just really, really helpful, really helpful. That's that's amazing. So what's next for you guys? What are you most excited about for this year? Oh, <sighs> It's been such a whirlwind. It's been a really exciting year. I think that we're really excited to keep building. We're really excited to just continue to bring new product to people that makes them smile and gives them a new way to express themselves with accessories. You know, obviously it's been a year of extraordinary change, but I also think that that has brought us so many, you know, opportunities that we couldn't have ever have predicted. So for example, face masks, you know, really exciting new category, I think. And, you know, our thought is, well, you can sit there and complain about having to wear one, or you can pick one that you just really love and look super cute and matches your outfit. So I'm always going to fall into the latter camp. 
you know, and I think that it's, again, it's just given our team something really fun. And I think one of the things that I always loved the most about, you know, being, you know, at an entrepreneurial company is I think one of the most fun things about it is the challenges change constantly. The opportunities change constantly. And how quick can you roll with the punches, which I think just gives you such an extraordinary amount of opportunities for learning and growth. And this year has certainly provided plenty of those. So, you know, I personally think that it's just made it fun. And it's been particularly fun because the whole team has really, you know, risen to the challenge of how do we figure all of these things out? And how do we figure them out all in 65 disparate places? And that's been, you know, while challenging, just really rewarding. I think when you see the the final results and you get to celebrate those together as a group, it's been really rewarding. I love it. I love it. So my last question, what makes you unstoppable? <sighs> so I think what makes me unstoppable is really the team and people that I've surrounded myself with. I think whether that's Amy, my business partner at Bobble Bar, whether that is the extraordinary team that we have brought on to help us build, you know, the vision for the company. I think the thing that ultimately keeps it all going and keeps us going is that incredible group of people. You know, no person is an island. And I think that it's whether the, it's the functional support of someone jumping in and helping you solve a problem, or it's the softer side of people just knowing you so well that they know when you're just having a day and you just need like a a pick me up or you need somebody to just say something that's going to kind of like knock you out of that funk. I really think it ultimately is that team. I love it. I love it. So where do people find you, Daniela? And then also I mentioned Bobble Bar. So bobblebar.com. Yes. So we are at bobblebar.com or all of our socials are, are at Bobble Bar, so B-A-U-B-L-E-B-A-R. And you can always find us at your local Nordstrom, at your local Target, look for Sugar Fix. We're there and we're excited to welcome you. That's awesome. And then Daniela, which social are you generally on? Oh, I'm usually on Instagram and I am Daniela Fiala, F-I-A-L-A. Awesome. Well, very, very great to have you here today. Everybody go check it out if you haven't already and shop, 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 check out, go into the Nordstrom's and Target stores as well. And we're so thrilled to have, you know, a great company, but also female founded company too. Yay. So excited and happy to hear that everything is going great. So, well, thanks everybody. And if you enjoyed this episode, by the way, definitely give a great review and also subscribe and more coming soon. Thanks. Thank you. If you like what you heard, please help spread the word and leave us a review. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? please talk to me at Kara Golden on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, be unstoppable. Unstoppable. unstoppable.